Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me and I want to take a second and thank, uh, well, a flurry of activity on the uh, Patreon page here this week. So I want to take a a second to uh, thank everybody who has signed up to be a patron and is uh, getting uh, some exclusive perks uh, most often. Uh, The level that people are signing up for is to get early access to all the interviews uh, that you hear on a full episode of the Pipeline Show. Well, patrons... Uh, or have the ability to hear those interviews a day or two or th- even three or up to four days uh, before an episode actually comes out. Usually, most often, a show will come out on Friday. It'll hit iTunes and Spotify and, and all of that. The the complete show with all the interviews and in this opening segment, uh, all of it in one big file. But for patrons, each interview, uh, there might be an interview I do on a Monday. Uh, well, I edit that interview and I put it together basically, and uh, I upload that to uh, Patreon. But uh, and that's usually done about a half an hour after I complete the interview. So uh, this week I talked to Colton Pareko and uh, I do that interview, and an hour later it's up on the Patreon site. Well, it's been two days since I talked to Colton, so patrons have been able to hear that interview for a couple of days now. So quick thank you to uh, Kelly and Leon and Taryn and uh, Clayson and Denisa, all who have signed up here in the last couple of days. Welcome aboard, and I hope you uh, enjoy the program and uh, that you'll be back for more. And if you're a returning listener to the show, you might not be a patron, and you're happy in just getting the uh, the show for free through iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify and all of those types of places, that's great. And I uh, appreciate that you're coming back and listening to the show every week. Maybe you're following me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy and you're, you're contributing and, and voting along with the polls and stuff like that. That's all great and that's valuable for sure. If you're a newcomer to the show and have never heard, maybe this is the first episode you're ever hearing. Well, I, I welcome you to the program and I hope that you'll be back for more. I'm intrigued and interested always with the new listeners to find out where you're coming from, how you heard about the show and what it interested you enough to uh, encourage you to give the show this particular episode a try. You can let me know on Twitter, again, at TPS underscore Guy. As always, we start the uh, each episode off with the question of the week. I put it up on Twitter, well, I, I would say just a few minutes ago, but I guess it's been about an hour or so, and then there was some massive breaking news, which I'll get to in a second. But the uh, the question of the day 
is uh, based on your current confidence that there will actually be a, a 2021 a season played out in the CHL and the CJHL and the USHL and even NCAA hockey, when do you actually expect the season to start? If there is a season, when do you expect it to start? Uh, that was the question that I put up and uh, already got uh, a lot of feedback. Patrick says, as planned, and I responded to, to Patrick uh, because uh, everything I'm hearing is that there's going to be serious delays. Uh, so I asked him for uh, maybe just explain why he's so confident that the things will get started up again at the end of August and uh, September. He says, uh, large doses of hope, optimism, and luck. But I'll stick with my original answer. So I uh, really appreciate the uh, the optimistic, uh, the glass half full attitude from Patrick. Uh, Lucas Punkeri, who uh, writes in uh, Prince Albert, covers the Raiders. He says uh, his serious answer is uh, mid-January with the CJHL shortly after that and the USHL, I would reckon, around the same time. He says the NCAA haven't got a clue. I could see some conferences wanting to start early and others saying no way. The current situation with college football right now is fascinating. All of that uh, from uh, Lucas. Oh, and for the record, I started the conversation off. Uh, I, I made my prediction now as January 8th of 2021. That would be after a Christmas break. That's just what I'm going with. I, I really have a hard time thinking that things will start on time as normal. I don't see training camps opening in August and and uh, the regular season starting in September. I, I just have a hard time imagining that, especially in places. I mean, we're still talking about the uh, Canada and U.S. border. When will that even open up to general uh, travel? Just so many hurdles and, and a, a lot of red tape to to get through. And, uh, I mean, safety for everybody is the primary concern, and I don't think we're at that point uh, just yet. Uh, the Wildcast podcast, uh, the Moncton Wildcats guys, uh, have replied. Jeremy says, my gut says November 20th. My heart says January 8th. Adam says, my gut says November 1st. But my heart says January 4th. Uh, Karen has uh, chimed in and says, uh, I think this is the ideal year to adjust the draft age. There aren't going to be any showcase tournaments, so I propose no NHL draft next year. I don't know if she means in 2021 uh, or 2020. I, you know, I've thought a lot about maybe combining and just pushing the 2020 draft because for me, I, I, I don't think you can have a draft before a conclusion to the uh, season in the NHL is determined and, and settled on. I don't because of how many how many picks have to do with uh, you know contingencies based on. Uh, playoff performances and I, I just wonder if maybe you just uh, combine the 20, 2020 and the 2021 draft but uh, Karen is uh, if I'm misreading Karen's uh, tweet then I apologize but it sounds to me like she's talking about canceling the 2021 draft that's not for another 14 months anyway if you want to weigh in on uh, that topic you can uh, again you can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Let's get to the news and notes, and uh, we're not going to bury the lead on this one. Uh, huge news just being announced here on uh, Friday. Uh, the first place I saw it was on Sportsnet. Uh, credit Elliot Friedman that the CHL settles the class action lawsuit over minimum wage payments. And uh, reading through the article, and uh, I will say that Rick Westhead is uh, tweeting it out as well right now from TSN. Uh, and all three CHL leagues have now uh, posted... Uh, notices on their websites as well. Uh, basically, the bottom line is the lawsuit finally, thank God, 
Uh, we don't have to talk about this anymore, but it's done. Uh, the CHL will pay $30 million uh, to the um, the plaintiff's side. Uh, sounds like a lot of that is just going to legal costs. And I, I cannot claim to know all the ins and outs of this for sure. I, I will read, uh, here's portions of the, the letter that all three CHL leagues have posted on uh, their websites. It has been determined that moving forward, the uh, players will not be considered employees. Uh, so there won't be minimum uh, wage payments to players moving forward. So this lawsuit doesn't change that at all. Uh, and the letter says, under the terms of the settlement, the defendants will pay $30 million to the class, a portion of which will be payable to class counsel on account of legal fees and disbursements, as is typical in class actions. Uh, and apparently all of this had been settled behind closed doors before the lockdown of the, because of the uh, pandemic. So in January or February... But everything had to be put in place. Uh, going back to uh, Elliot Friedman's uh, story, each CHL team will be responsible for paying approximately $250,000. Uh, 60 teams times 250000 that equals $15 million that the uh, the teams themselves are paying out. Uh, but they were covered for $30 million, and that's where that total comes from. So I'm sure there will still be lots of details and, and uh, finer points to to be made here. So follow Rick Westhead, follow Elliot Friedman. You can watch on both TSN and Sportsnet uh, for follow-up stories, I'm sure. Uh, and maybe more details will uh, will trickle out over the next little while. Again, this just hit my screen here in the last hour. In fact, I was getting ready to put this opening segment together, and then this news broke. So I had to uh, double back and because uh, I didn't want to go a full week without talking about this. But for next week's show, I will endeavor to get somebody who's who has been covering this uh, this topic uh, to come on and maybe uh, explain it to me like I'm a five year old. Bottom line is, I hope this is uh, the last time we have to talk about this, and maybe I'll stop getting harassed online by uh, the CHLPA. That would be great. Let's move on to some other news and notes, uh, things that have been happening. Again, not not a whole lot going on these days, but uh, I know the WHL. In fact, all three. CHL leagues continuing to hand out awards. Shane Wright, the Rookie of the Year in the OHL. Dylan Gunther, the Rookie of the Year in the WHL. And Zachary Bolduc from uh, Ramuski, the Rookie of the Year in the Q. Some player signings, uh, but really not a whole lot uh, since last week's show. I believe only four, actually. Uh, the New York Rangers have signed uh, goaltender Tyler Wall. Uh, San Jose goes to Europe again, Timur Abragamov. A uh, forward they have signed. Uh, the probably the biggest one is Jack Dugan, uh, leaves Providence College after two years and uh, signs with the Vegas Golden Knights, top scorer in the NCAA last year. And Cameron Hillis, a uh, smaller forward with the Guelph Storm, he is signed by the Montreal Canadiens, drafted by the Canadiens as well back in 2018. Quite honestly, that's about all the news and notes I have for you. Even in college hockey circles, everything pretty quiet. I mean, still uh, people trying to figure out if uh, Long Island University is, is going to be up and running uh, in time. There's stories on that at both College Hockey News and uh, USCHO. But that means we can get to the guest list. Uh, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Troubled Monk, the brewery in Red Deer. If you place your order by 1 p.m., you can get same-day delivery in Calgary, Edmonton, or Red Deer. The Edmonton area includes uh, both Sherwood Park and St. Albert. You can get tall cans of daycation, as well as the Open Road American Brown Ale, of course, the uh, Juicy Gossip, a New England IPA, or you can get the standard size cans, uh, the Rebels Red or the uh, Taster Pack. You can get the Golden Gates and the Pesky Pig, as well as the uh, 
Bucktooth Belgian White, and the Open Road American Brown Ale, the standard size. Uh, all of those in the uh, taster pack. They've got a brand new one as well, which I haven't been able to try yet. Uh, the Hoptimist Orange Cream IPA. Like the little write-up, remember back to those endless summer days and the refreshing taste of a classic creamsicle? This summer, enjoy our nostalgia-inspired Orange Cream IPA Hoptimist. I haven't been able to try that one yet. That'll be in my next order. Uh, for the uh, list of all of the brews that are available, go to troubledmonk.com, uh, and you can see it right there, and that's where you can place your order. Uh, let me know what you got and uh, what's your favorite. What's your beverage of choice from Troubled Monk? Uh, tell me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Bonus points. Take a picture. All right, let's get to the guest list. I have three guests on the show today, uh, and this is a great show, actually. And I, every time I say that, I sound like I'm surprised. Anyway, uh, we're going to open things up with a, a long, extended conversation with uh, longtime broadcaster Bill Wilms. I learned some things uh, from uh, Bill in this conversation I didn't know. I had I did not know that he uh, was a player for, I think it was uh, three years at uh, the University of North Dakota and then went on to coach there for a couple of years. He's I've known him as a broadcaster in the WHL. Uh, you know, he... he uh, He's the color analyst on radio for the Vancouver Giants, and he was on uh, Shaw TV for all the broadcasts uh, until that went down. But I didn't know uh, Bill's uh, backstory, uh, and I got to know him very well th- during this conversation. Really enjoyed it. We, we covered a lot of ground as well, not just about his career, although that's a, a fun part of the conversation, but you know, just getting his thoughts, his opinion on the current situation for the WHL. We talked about the ownership story with the Portland Winterhawks uh, when he thinks we might get back to normal here in the Western Hockey League. So we, we do cover a lot of ground. If you're listening to this show and you're not in the WHL territory and you might not know who Bill Wilms is, uh, you're still going to like this conversation a lot. You know, I had recent uh, long-form conversations with uh, both Sam Cosentino uh, and uh, Pete Labardius broadcasters. And uh, Bill, this is another one very much in the same vein as those chats. Uh, from that conversation, we'll go to a 2020 draft spotlight. My guest this week is going to blow you away, or at least he, he did me when I had this conversation with him. He's a goaltender uh, eligible for the draft this year. His name is Devin Levi. Plays for the Carlton Place Canadians. Next year, he'll be off to Northeastern, assuming there is a year. But I told him after this interview, and I'll probably say it again in that segment as well after the interview, but uh, I've been doing this show for 15 years, and I've talked to hundreds of uh, players who are 17, 18 years old. You've heard them. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you've heard them. Some of them are, you, you think you're talking to their the guy's dad because he's, they're so well-spoken and mature. Uh, and there are others who sound like your typical 16, 17, 18-year-old where they're shy and introverted and short answers. And, you know, I've been doing this long enough. That's kind of what I expect almost uh, going into every interview. Uh, and then there's a guy like uh, Devin Levi, who not just a mature in his manner of speaking, how well spoken he is, but his his outlook and his the way he views things, uh, fantastic. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, he gave me answers in that conversation I've never got from a player before. Uh, I could not possibly recommend listening to a segment more uh, than uh, I am with uh, Devin Levi. Uh, from the Carlton Place Canadians. That'll be in segment two today. And we'll close out this week's episode catching up with a player we used to get 
to join us in studio every summer when uh, the, the show was still on TSN 1260 in Edmonton and we had a studio like that. It was one of our favorite things to do was to to get players in the offseason to come in and, and just join us for an hour. And one of the guys we loved to get in was Colton Pareko. And I had a chance to speak with him earlier this week, about 20, 25 minutes, and uh, really enjoyed that conversation. Just such a down-to-earth guy. And, and I know you're going to like that uh, conversation as well. So uh, really three outstanding guests today. We're going to start it off with Bill Wilms. He's a longtime broadcaster in the WHL, but there's a lot more to his story than that. We'll kick it off there next here on the Pipeline Show. No sleep till! Bend off the wall, falling there was Longo as uh, he couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front, that's so good. Making a nice read there, especially on those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious and don't call me Shirley. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Fleming, and uh, we're going to kick things off in uh, great fashion today. Uh, it's an in-the-dub segment for, for our friends at dubnetwork.ca. There's not a whole lot happening around the Western Hockey League these days. Uh, awards seemingly being handed out, and lots of players have been signed, but uh, obviously no hockey. Uh, but you can stay up to date on all the news at dubnetwork.ca. My guest today is uh, a longtime favorite here on the Pipeline Show, Bill Wilms. So welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Bill. How are you? Oh. Very good, thank you. And considering everything that's happening and kind of hanging in there like everybody else and, you know, watching the news, that still still seems to be changing daily and quickly. And, you know, obviously not only from the sports world, but everything else. But, um, yeah, we're we're well. Our family's well. And, you know, um, if I can get the odd game of golf in still and keep that social distancing absolutely to a – a maximum, I think uh, I can be okay. But, man, I hope it ends pretty soon. Well, we're just talking off the air. You've been golfing for about eight weeks now. And uh, here in Alberta, well, they just opened the golf courses. The province allowed golfing here just uh, started uh, earlier this week, actually, uh, last weekend. But, uh, you know, a month ago there was snow here. Not the case for you out in uh, beautiful Vancouver. Now, for me, (laughs) to stay socially distant on the golf course is no problem because my ball's always in the woods. Hey, I... I was playing in Chilliwack the other day, and, and I took a picture of the guys ahead of me. 
Um, they were about 200 yards from the tee. One was on the very far left of the fairway looking for a ball that was out of bounds. And his partner, he only play in twos, um, his partner was way over on the right side. And he was looking for his ball in um, out of bounds area. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It, it was almost that way the whole round. It, it's 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 amazing. They say that, a, you know, a fairway by definition in golf is a narrow strip of grass separating two groups of players looking for lost balls and um it, it's tough to get together when you know when you're when you're you know playing like that it's uh you know it, it is honestly and the courses have done a tremendous job in, in in making sure that everything is sanitized and cleaned and and um you know if you want to play uh in twos uh which a lot of courses is a must you got to pay for four uh and there's only single riders on golf carts but my experience in seeing what's around when I'm playing uh, is that, wow, there's not a lot of opportunity to get too close together. And I'm not surprised that the golf courses are opening. I think it's pretty safe. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, let's talk about uh, the situation in the Western Hockey League uh, these days. And obviously, as I mentioned at the start, there's not a whole lot going on, although teams are you know, announcing uh, their award winners for for each team. And the league has done so as well. And it seems like every team is assigning players left and right, even guys they just drafted here last month. To me, correct me if, if you if you feel differently, but it seems like there's been a lot more player signings uh, at this point than in most years. And I wonder, is it just because of the, the scenario that we're all in right now? Well, anytime you have a state of flux, eh? you have a situation of uncertainty, um, I think it's kind of natural to grab something that gives you some certainty. Um, and I, I do think that's probably what's happening. I think a lot of players and families are saying, well, you know, we can't really see even, you know, maybe not even two years down the road. And in two years, these kids have to have a decision made whether they're playing, you know, in the Western Hockey League or leaving options open to play elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's something comfortable about assurance and knowing that your name is you know, on that paper and that you are going to be playing for whatever team that you've been drafted by. And, and you've got a little bit of peace of mind in it, you know, in, a, in, in an absolute hectic, I mean, ridiculously turmoil in, in the world of sports, who would have thought one day you'd wake up and you'd have every professional and amateur sports in the entire world, every league canceled. So I think uh, it's not terribly surprising that players are saying, okay, let's, let's, uh, I don't want to say grab something, but I'm saying grab something that's certain. You know, let's make sure that we're committed to this team. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, but, you know, with, uh, as you mentioned, every league in the world is, has been shut down. Some of them are starting to reopen, you know, soccer leagues in Germany and, and no fans in the building. For the WHL, for me, I mean, without a TV deal outside of the, the CHL, uh, the Sportsnet deal, which barely puts the, the Western Hockey League on TV. I don't know what uh, financial gain the league gets from that and the teams. For me, the WHL is still a very gate-driven league. Could you see the WHL playing at all without fans in the building? I did it one time. Um, I'm not so sure I do anymore based on you know the information that we're learning about how gate driven this league actually is. Uh, however, I do think that there will be, I think there'll be some creativity that we might see with teams. Um, I, I don't know what a, 
a great season ticket base is. I think, can you make it work with 2,000 season tickets in the Western Hockey League? Mm. Uh, if, if, that, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, and it may be as late as September, it may be that uh, you have something set up if you can sell your 2,000 season tickets, you got some revenue. Um, maybe you allow one-third seating capacity uh, in your rink. Now, if you've got a rink of 5,000 you know, people and you're letting 700 in or whatever the guidelines are at that point, so that you maybe get as a season ticket purchaser, you maybe get one-third mm-hmm. of the games. But But here is the catch. I think that you'll see some pretty good deal on streaming. And I do think that you can make it possible that Western Hockey League teams include in their season ticket price uh, a tremendous deal to see the games uh, that you're not going to be able to be in the building for, that you will at least be able to see them on your television screen. Um, I, I I think that that, that might work. I, I don't know. Now, Guy, I, I don't know if it even goes to the point where, you know, do you have cars and parking lots? Is there a TV set up? And, you know, that there's a third of the people in the building and maybe a third of your season ticket holders are watching in the car. Um, you play within your own division. The long and the short of this, I think, is that I think the the, the revenue stream has to be the season ticket holders. I think they can make it with season ticket season ticket sales, uh, given that you're not going to have walk-ups. And then just structure something very, very creatively for the people that have bought those season tickets, even if there's a pro rate for the following season or whatever. And, you know, when they're talking about, you know, uh, some where did I read something about possibly not starting till the end of September with mm-hmm. some people allowed at some of the sports events? Well, that that fits exactly when the Western Hockey League starts, doesn't it? Well, it does. And that you was, know, I, mean, uh, I don't know if this is where you saw it, but the uh, governor of Oregon said no uh, uh, live sporting events or no sporting events in front of uh, fans until the end of September, through the end of September. Now, WHL starts up late August with training camps uh, and, uh, and then preseason, and then the season usually starts around the 20th. Um, so I, I, I'm with you. I think all of that gets pushed back at least a month. Yeah. You know, I love your idea of uh, linking the streaming service uh, to season tickets. You might know. I don't know. Do the teams get something for the WHL live sales? Yeah, I, I do think I, I do think they 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 do. I I can't speak for certain on that, Guy, but I do think there's something involved in in, in that category. So, um, you know the. Though I don't know numbers, but my my guess is that they're going to have to they're going to have to do something too, and the league has to step in. I mean, what a you know what an opportunity this would have been for Shaw if they would have still been oh. you know maybe involved in in this, you know. But uh, that ship has obviously sailed, and yeah. that's not going to happen. But I th- I think the results that people are getting, uh, all the leagues that all the teams are getting with their streamline their streaming audience. Is is pretty pretty good, and you know if you watch it, it's it's a pretty good product out of most of the arenas. So, I, if if I'm going to cough up season ticket money, I, I first of all I've got to do it understanding that I am a fan, and I'm willing to help out. Okay, now I don't want to get necessarily hosed by this. It's not a donation because these teams, most of them, are privately owned. But 
by the same token, if I get some value for my season ticket and being, you know, a loyalty customer, I, I think, you know, I think that there's maybe something that can happen. And I, I, I heard something not long ago either. Um, my son is uh, executive director of the Yale Hockey Academy, and he went out with some Bauer reps the other uh, last week, I think it was, and they have a helmet in the making that is um, almost a bubble type helmet, which is quite, you know, quite um, progressive in terms of you know, you know, spreading, you know, however you spread the the, the virus. Okay. So I, I do think I, I kind of think something will happen. But, Guy, honestly, I, I, I said – now, the com- the competitive side of it is I think the players would compete like crazy in an empty arena. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a problem. I've said on our broadcast many times, I said, you know, when two teams play, these two teams on the ice, they could be playing ball hockey in the parking lot at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they'd still be playing just as hard. But, you know, financially, it's obviously not going to work without some revenue. Well, I don't know what it's like at Giants games, but a uh, Tuesday or a Wednesday night at uh, Rogers Place in downtown Edmonton, you might get 3,000 fans, and in a 19,000-seat building, it feels like it's fairly empty anyway, and yet the teams are playing pretty hard. Now, you mentioned about the 2,000 season tickets. Winnipeg's building, and it sounds like their their construction of their new buildings kind of been put on hold, so for the next two or three years, they're still going to be playing in the... Uh, the current building that they're in, I think I don't think seating capacity is even at two thousand. There is it? No, it's about seventeen hundred. You're right. Yeah, it's 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 one of my. It's you know digressing for just a minute from from a broadcast point radio. It's one of my favorite rinks ever. Oh, well, you're that right would, on top I, of it. Yeah. That would Yeah, that, that that's a great venue. Yeah, well, from a broadcast position, and I haven't been there uh, to uh, call games myself, but um, my understanding is you're right on top of the ice and like what about 15 feet off the ice something like that exactly exactly and and it goes right the press box kind of goes right around the whole the whole building it's it's a neat atmosphere but i i again i don't know maybe you know better than i do i i hear that number 2000 season tickets uh i mean is it i doubt if it's 4000 season tickets uh, I, again i i i always see that number banding around that uh you know in, in, if your building's got you know Three thirty-five hundred people in it. You know, you've got the majority of season ticket holders, and then you got your walk-up sales. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that, you know, that I, I again, Swift Current, I don't think has two thousand season tickets. They don't even have two thousand again in that building, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I think as long as there's some revenue that's produced, generated in some way. Um, it would be very difficult to shut the Western Hockey League down with some revenue for another season, for a complete season. I mean, I can't even, my mind can't even go there, but then I can't believe a lot of the things that have happened in the yeah. last weeks, weeks have happened. Yeah, and I love your idea of uh, linking um, the, the streaming service into uh, for season ticket holders, and uh, maybe that increases some season tickets uh, for some teams as well. And if you're going to have to exactly. cut, if you're going to cut costs somewhere, it's pretty expensive. All these WHL teams have pretty, uh, uh, they take on a lot of expenses. Travel, well, being one of the biggest ones. Maybe for this coming season, there's no East to West uh, conference uh, uh, play, and maybe you just stay in your own conference. Yeah, I, I would think so. And as long as it, as long as the border is shut, you know, from oh, BC to thing. Washington, right. that, you know, that, that, that would be a problem. But, um, 
you know what? I mean, you said it earlier, and I mean, you're spot on. I mean, they're not going to, they won't start training camps in August. I would be shocked if, if that happened, but I got no problem. I don't think the league would have any problem in starting a month later, uh, you know, and playing in your own division. If you played in your own division, you probably would have to start, uh, you know, a month or month, maybe even a month and a half later. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, that U.S. division, Portland would love to play Seattle 20 times a year if they could. Yeah. I mean, it's it, Ryan Spokane and Tri-City, they would play as many games in a row as they could. They just love to play each other. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 it, it has to start. I mean, this is my hope now. I mean, I would not have even thought for a minute. I mean, how fast did the cancellation of the Memorial Cup happen? Oh, yeah. I mean, we heard the league was closing. It was shutting down. Okay, well, they'll save the Memorial Cup. That's got to happen. Bang, that was gone. And it just happened so fast, all these things, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I I mean, from my perspective, I can't say it was the wrong decision. I think tough choices, but I think they made the right choices. You? Yeah, no, I had to. They had to. No, there was, there, there was no question, you know, about that. But, you know, again, if I'm a, you know, talked about it earlier, but if I'm a season ticket holder and I can get into maybe one-third of the games. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's even though it's a reduced schedule, which it probably well, definitely would be, uh, you know, as long as I can see the team is, and, and as long as I can, you know, I can follow this thing and, and, and see it on my screen. And, uh, I, I think, you know, and then given the fact that I'm loyal and I, I want to help out, you know, I want to make this thing work. And Hey, listen, this is not a terribly expensive product. Let's be honest. It's the best entertainment value for your dollar. I think in any you know, probably in any sport. What is it? Twenty bucks a ticket? Yeah, in some places even less. Even less. What are those seats at uh, Rogers in Edmonton when you're so f- high up? I mean, well, it, you can get into the building for twenty bucks. Okay. Yeah. Well, well no, I'm I'm hopeful. I certainly wasn't that hopeful, you know, two weeks ago. No, me too. And uh, you know, if who knows how things can change over over the next couple of months? I mean, it's only been two months that we've been dealing with this, and and stuff has evolved so quickly, but. Maybe two months from now, uh, we're looking at starting by Halloween and playing a 50-game schedule. Who knows? Uh, don't know. Yeah. Time will tell. But Would you take that? I would take it over canceling an entire season, sure. Something's better than nothing. Absolutely. As long as it's safe and it all, Absolutely. You know, all the precautions are in place and we're not uh, rushing things and then uh, the cases of uh, infection go skyrocketing through the roof. We don't want that. Yeah. If everything can happen exactly. and unfold safely, uh, then yeah, sure, absolutely. The situation with ownership in uh, Portland uh, sounds like that team is uh, up for sale or potentially at least um, your take on that. And uh, I saw stories yesterday that there would be a lineup of, uh, of potential buyers. You know, the people that are in the know uh, told me they're not surprised at all. They, they knew this was going to happen. So it wasn't coming out of nowhere. It was in the makings and, you know, it, it's extremely ironic too. And I, I don't know what it does to the pricing, but, a, a team that was 26 and two on home ice mm-hmm. <laughs> this year. I, I mean, if this is all about entertainment, you know, you were either going to the motor center or Memorial Coliseum to see a win. Um, you can't have a better year than that. And then the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the future for this Portland team, I, I, uh, I read somewhere they only had three 19 year olds this year. Mm. I mean, you, you talk about, a winning team with a with a great coaching staff and a and a young group. 
um, no surprise at all that there'd be people lining up to buy it. I, I haven't got a clue what, what price tag you're looking at, but I, I think I, I think the Winterhawks have been so successful in Portland. This is, again, just my take. It's been such a successor, success there that I don't think the NHL has ever looked really seriously at Portland for that reason. I think it's a different fan. I think it's a, uh, a WHL fan that uh, that knows the league well, loves the age group of the players, loves the compete level. And, yeah, I mean, let's go back, what, three, four, five years? And, I mean, how can you beat the three years in a row of Portland, Edmonton, and the Western Hockey League finals? If that wasn't the best entertainment that you've seen, I, I don't know yeah. what is. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, and we, we've been there, Guy, we've been there when there's been, uh, we've done a game, you know, on radio uh, with the Giants at the Coliseum, and I think they've had like 5,800 people in there, mm-hmm. and just across the, it's not even across the street, it's across the parking lot, yeah. there's a motor center, and the Portland Trailblazers are playing with 15,000 people in the building. Mm-hmm. Like, who who wouldn't grab that franchise, that Winterhawk franchise? Yeah. The Portland Picklehawks are here. <laughs> the Winterhawks, uh, the fan base, they're fantastic. A great atmosphere, and they really come out and support their team. For me, I think Portland should be a, a site for the World Junior Championship. Uh, you know, they always exactly. they always take it to Minnesota or Buffalo, or you know, there's talk about uh, trying some places like Tampa or something like that. I think Portland is so underrated uh, as a uh, hockey market, uh, and having two facilities like that in the same parking lot as you said would be so great you could see every game of every team play instead of having to travel between yeah. calgary and edmonton for instance or vancouver and victoria yeah you know the one of the only places that uh, i've ever worked in were you know i'm not a goosebump guy but i started i looked at my orange because it was kind of like wow what, what is going on here <laughs> was the atmosphere in in the motor center with edmonton play in portland in the in the in the finals whl finals uh, i mean you know do what you want with the noise meters that they have up on the on the screen you can you mean know, believe it or not but yeah. whatever you want but i i am telling you that atmosphere in there it gave me it gave me kind of chills i got to be honest with you because i kept thinking these these kids are 18 17 18 19 and you know, there's 11,000 people, and these kids are out there having to perform at a top level where we expect that. I mean, there's no there's no time in, in a game at that level of play at the Western Hockey League level where you go to the bench and say, Coach, sorry, my bad. There can't be a bad. You have to, you have to perform. And to watch the kids perform at that level in Portland, and this is the team that we're talking about here that's up for sale, I don't know. I don't know how you could tailor make a better situation for a buyer of a of a hockey team. That's as good a franchise as there is in the entire league. Yeah, fantastic. Now that's a single owner, uh, and uh, there are some. There are lots of different uh, ownership models across the WHL. I think there's four teams that are still community owned, uh, and they wonder how they make it through a, a scenario like we're all living through right now. And you know, you got a couple of teams that are owned by NHL uh, franchises or NHL owners, so you'd think that they'd be a little bit more uh, sturdy to withstand a, a tough financial uh, forecast for the next little while. But, you know, there's so many different scenarios across and different market sizes. You just wonder how other teams could be impacted. Yeah, I know. And have you heard of any 
I mean, I, I say the Pickle Hawks, what's, it, it's, that pickle company, that's all I, I mean, I, it's the all, only name I've heard stepping up, but I've heard that there's, like you said earlier, there's a lineup for people that are going to want to buy that franchise. But that uh, that team that we're, t- or that uh, company that we're talking about, are you familiar with them at all? I'm not. No, I hadn't actually heard that one. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, some <laughs> Pickle. They own a couple. They have a couple franchises in, in in other sports in Portland, and they're supposedly very interested. Okay. Yeah. In fact, probably the lead candidate at this point. Pickle. But uh, we'll, we'll yeah, it won't it, it won't take long, I'm sure. And, and, and you know, somebody will have a pretty good product there. I mean, you know, I've been I've been there too when it's been down years. Uh, it was there when Mike Williamson, one of his teams, one year. I think they won twelve games. And, yeah. You know, you've seen the rock bottom, but you've also seen the, you know, the highs, and you know what a what a terrific, uh, you know, combination behind the bench with Mike Johnson, and you know, obviously big ticket money for him as well as you know Don Hay. But I don't know if I don't know if Mike is ever in a position to be a purchaser or buy into a hockey team. I, I don't know. I don't know his his background financially at all, but nor if he's even interested. But uh, it's a it's a premier league or a pre, premier franchise, obviously in a premier league, and uh, I I know of, I mean I'm a long ways away, and I've only worked in that building, but boy, it's uh, it, it's a special venue. That's a special franchise. There's no no question about that. Bill Wilms is my guest, longtime broadcaster around the WHL uh, and uh, currently the color guy for the uh, Vancouver Giants. Bill, uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, is you. Uh, just how you got into this business. I know you have a uh, a background uh, as a player and as a coach, uh, and uh, I know you as a broadcaster. But um, take me back to to how it started for you. How did you get into broadcasting, and and did it come through being a player and a coach? Well, you know, I played junior hockey like most people did. If you were any good at sixteen, seventeen years old, eighteen years old, and when I played in Winnipeg, it was um, it was the NHL owning junior teams. There was no universal NHL draft. It was the, the National Hockey League team would simply purchase and have the ownership rights to the various junior teams. The Montreal Canadiens, I think, sponsored one team in Quebec one time to just get one player. They just want, had interest in one guy, so they ended up, you know, supporting financially supporting you know the the junior teams. Well, in Winnipeg, the team I played for, the Braves. Um, was owned by the Boston Bruins, so we had no choice. When you, when you signed with the Winnipeg Braves, you were owned by by the Bruins. You did you had no choice. Now it was only the Manitoba Junior League, the Saskatchewan Junior League, the Alberta Junior League, and I don't think there was anything in BC at that at, at that time. And obviously Quebec and and Ontario, and and the leagues played off provincially, and then ended up having a best of seven Memorial Cup. Right. Well, I I. My team, the Winnipeg Braves, we had, I wasn't with them at the time, but two years er- earlier, they had won the Memorial Cup. Well, then I, you know, I took a hockey scholarship at the University of North Dakota, which was no problem as far as the Bruins are concerned. I played four years down there. So now I'm graduating in 1966. I got three options. I played, uh, you know, four years at UND. We went to the national championship and, in uh, 65 at Providence, Rhode Island at, uh, at Brown had a clear cut breakaway at Tony Esposito and he beat me. Um, but we, we were the strong favorite of the four teams in the NCAA final that year, Brown, Boston college, us and Michigan tech. 
And, you know, when I graduated in 66, I, I could have used my degree uh, in education to teach school in Winnipeg. And that would have been 4,100 bucks, I think, is what I would have been able to get for that. Uh, my second, first option, I guess, was signing with Boston, but that wasn't going to happen money-wise. I'd never had an agent. We never knew anything about that. And it probably would have made less than, less than 4,000 bucks to play. I mean, it was a 16 league then. Right. Uh, and then third option was the UND North Dakota said, listen, if you stay on and be our assistant hockey coach, uh, we'll give you two more years of university and you can, you know, work on your masters. Well, that kind of looked like the right thing to do. And, uh, I did it for two years and, um, you know, and then, uh, the head coaching job came up, uh, at North Dakota. The head coach, Bill Selman, took a job at Duluth, University of Minnesota Duluth and bang, across the TV immediately became my status as assistant coach. I was shortlisted to three immediately. Gee, I would have been uh, 23 years old. Wow. Um, and would have been 23 going on 24. I, the athletic director told me when he talked to me, he said, you know, if we hire you, you'll be the youngest coach in the history of college hockey. Well, I honestly, I was petrified I'd get the job. <laughs> and I was honestly, I was honestly going to be disappointed if I didn't. Uh, I was caught in the craziest position that I've ever been in. Well, they hired a, uh, a coach from uh, New Hampshire, Rube Yorkman. They had a fir- they had their first American coach in about 15 years, so that was that was good. That worked out really well. I, I went back to I went back to uh, Winnipeg and moved out shortly to Vancouver and just simply got in a co- I got a teaching job and I I got in a coaching in the BCHL. Well, it was a Pac A league. We called it the Pacific Junior League and then into the BCHL and mm-hmm. and with the Richmond Sockeyes, I had the Vancouver Junior Canucks, the Carisdale Carriers, the Richmond Sockeyes. My last year, Guy, with Richmond, uh, I was always getting paid on the side as a uh, part-time coach because I had a full-time teaching job as a PE teacher. And when I left, they hired Orland Curtin back to replace me. And uh, he got a full-time gig with him, 38000 bucks. And uh, when you know it, they had money, the new ownership, the team was sold, they had new, new ownership. They brought in about four guys from the Western Hockey League and, um, and won the Centennial Cup. And, uh, and, you know, and that was, that was it. And I kind of got into broadcasting after that with a friend of mine, Dan Russell. Yes, and you and Dan, that's where I first met you was uh, you guys were a broadcast uh, tandem with, with Shaw TV. But when you first got into broadcasting, what about what year would that have been? Well, I got into uh, – in, when I quit coaching in 86, um, that was my last year in the, in the BCHL with the Richmond Sockeyes. Um, my, my last year, uh, I had done a little bit of work with community television in Vancouver here. They did the Western Hockey League at a Queens Park arena. And it was the newest minister Bruins. It was a Sunday night game. that was live to tape and then air during the week. And I've seen some old tapes and I'll tell you what, for community television, it wasn't bad. I saw Mike Madano as a rookie. I saw Trevor Linden in here as a rookie. I saw Wendell Clark in here as a, as a as a youngster and and the list goes on and on when you go back into the you know into the mid 80s because i would do some work on a sunday night even though i was coaching in the bchl and then dan needed a resume he wanted to get to the nhl um and he had that sunday or not a sunday, he had a, a nightly talk show here 
Uh, and he was kind of pigeonholed as a talk show host. Indeed, he was very, very successful. He, yeah. he signed some big contracts with CKNW and, and some of the stations here. So anyway, he had been doing everything live to tape, live to tape. And then aired. he said, listen, I got a chance to do the Seattle Thunderbirds live to air. We'll be the radio broadcasters for the Seattle Thunderbirds, 95, 96 season. So he asked me, would you come with me? Would you come be my color guy? Um, we would go down. It was a weekend league as it is to a large extent now. And we would go down and, and, and do the games from Vancouver. Seattle was our home. And we would go down and do a game in Seattle and then probably go to Portland on the, on the Saturday night, Seattle Friday, maybe Tri-City Saturday, Portland Sunday, uh, uh, Seattle Sunday. So you'd be home for two. They put us up in a nice hotel downtown Seattle. Uh, he had a $70,000 car at the time, uh, a Lexus, wow. great sound system, great car. And we traveled in style. And, uh, you know, uh, that went for, for three seasons. And uh, he came pretty close. He uh, he was shortlisted a couple times as well for the NHL, and um, didn't uh, didn't get the job. His his la- he was in it as a candidate when Jim Robson after Jim Robson left, mm-hmm. and um, ultimately John Shorthouse, who who was doing it uh, prior to taking the TV gig, is who beat him out for the last opportunity to broadcast for the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, you know, 97, 98, that was three years of Seattle, which saw the rookie Patrick Marlowe as a 16 year old and saw them go to the Western hockey league final against a great Lethbridge hurricane team, Brian Maxwell coach team. And then 98, 97, 98, 98, 99, real quick sports launches, launches their, their network. Right. And, uh, they start doing hockey games, WHL games. Scott Moore offered me 900 bucks a game on the telephone. I said, done. <laughs> he said, man, I wish all my other on-air talent would be that quick to take money. Um, so they would do a Sunday broadcast from four locations. Um, they had the, the studio host in Toronto was uh, Darren Millard and Greg Millen, if I'm not mistaken. They had an Eastern crew, uh, the Quebec League. They had a uh, Ontario crew, which was uh, Kevin Quinn play-by-play, and Nick Kiprius was a color. Mm-hmm. They had a Western crew, which was Mike Toth, and Cam Moon was a color. And then they had a Pacific uh, crew, that was Dan Russell and myself. So now 99, 98-99, they launch. 99, they host, they show, they broadcast the first, their first ever Memorial Cup. And they take, it was in Ottawa, and they take, uh, they said, we'll take a one play-by-play guy from the four regions, and we'll take a color guy from the four regions. Well, they took Kevin Quinn as a play-by-play guy, and they took me as a color commentator, and we did the seven uh, Ottawa 67s in uh, in 99. They won an overtime game seven against Calgary, and um, that, that was obviously a big thrill. I, I saw the... My brother taped the the final game, Guy, and he's long passed away. And I dug it up somehow. My wife dug it up. So here's your final game, the Ottawa 67s and the Calgary Hitmen. The rookie goaltender for the Acadie Bathurst was uh, Roberto Luongo. Okay. And I'm ripping him on there. I'm saying he had a terrible playoff series <laughs> and this, that, and the other thing. I'm thinking, well, who am I talking about here? <laughs> I didn't rip him. I just said, you know, he had to have a really good Memorial Cup for them to do well. Little, little did I know. And 
you know, Brian Campbell and, and Nick Boynton and, uh, oh, I mean, so many good players in, in that area. And then another real, real quick, another three years of Sportsnet, uh, six game package. They gave me a six game package in 99-2000, six games in 0001, and then 0102, the Giants came on board. And I had known Ron Toigo from uh, Tri City, and um, bang, uh, I got that job. And, you know, when I think about it, you know, in 0506, in our fifth year, Guy, mm-hmm. the Vancouver Giants went to the Memorial Cup and they won it in their sixth year. And I, and I just want to tag that. The Calgary Hitman did virtually the same thing, and the Edmonton Oil Kings did virtually the same thing. And yeah. I still think those are the three model franchises for expansion. So that, in a nutshell, is uh, is my journey to. Uh, oh, and then you know, obviously, when when uh, Shaw came on board in 0506, it was uh, they approached me and Dan to uh, to work on it, and I got fortunate to. Uh, you know, to be with him to 2017. And that's when I first got to know you was uh, during the 2014 um, uh, WHL final in Portland and in Edmonton because uh, you guys were doing the games, and I finally got to do some games uh, in that series as well. And um, so I got to know you then. Uh, did it take you a while to feel comfortable as a broadcaster, always having been a hockey guy, but all the technical stuff, especially on TV? Radio is different than TV, right? Yeah, very different. I mean, much, much different. Now, you know, when I got into coaching, um, let me just backtrack real quick. Sure. I left a lot of money on the table, okay? When I didn't sign with Boston, um, I, I, uh, I'm in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and, and we don't know what's going on. I didn't know that the league was going to expand to 12 teams and we didn't know the world hockey association was going to form. And I don't know where we were. I don't know if being where we were was, you know, out in the boondocks, but no agents, nothing to go by. He, my centerman was Dennis Hextall one year. Wow. I, another player in my wing was John Marks. He played on the line with Stan Makita. He told me one time, that he signed a contract based with Bob Pulford, the GM of Chicago Blackhawks. Winnipeg Jets wanted him because he was a Winnipeg kid and he had been playing for Chicago. And Pulford says, over lunch, he says, here's a napkin. You put any six figures you want on that napkin. The first one can't be higher than three. <laughs> he puts three nine 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 on it. Pulford signs it. That was his contract. And I was turning down money eight, seven years ago. See, if I had signed and just gone that route, gone that route through this, you know, where, where, where did I have to go? I had to go to Oklahoma City. And it was called the Central Hockey League at that time. That was Boston's farm team. Right. So I don't. I leave the money on the table, and that's okay. It's, it's over and done with. So I get into coaching, and I love to teach. I was a teacher. I was a, you know, a the PE teacher, but I was also a science teacher. And there's something in me that tries to enjoys teaching. And when I got that opportunity on TV to do that, you know what I mean? Not everybody, you know, believes what you're saying all the time, but if you get credibility that what you're saying is, even though somebody might not necessarily see it, if you can, if you are believable, that's such a big thing. I think that's a, especially on radio, that's the biggest thing is to be believable. And then when Dave Roberts and, and, and Grant Wilkins and the guys at Shaw started having the confidence in me 
so that I could talk directly to tape. There isn't guys in tape would tell me I work with, work with Greg Hannon, who does Hockey Night in Canada, still, Canuck Games, mm-hmm. and he does Hockey Night in Canada. He said that I am the only guy he knows where a producer lets on-air talent talk to the tape directly without going through the producer. And when I had that hook, when I had that hookup, that he could listen to me and I could press a talk button and I could talk to tape and start queuing up what I thought was important to see, then I got really, really into it. And, you know, we'd have a hit at one end, we'd have a post at the other end, and we'd have a great save back at the other end. And I would say to tape, I would say, can you get all three? Can we, can, can we get the hat trick here? Can we go bang, bang, bang on the next whistle? Mm-hmm. And we did. More often than not, we did. But for somebody to trust you to say, well, Bill's asking for three things here. They better be good. Right. And I had that, I had that relationship. I never got four. I could never get the quad out of, out of tape. It was, we'd often get two, you know, a save at one end and a shot at the other end or a penalty after that. But to get three, it became so fun. Honest to goodness, it became so much, so much fun to do that. And, um, and, and I, to this day, I think, I think the Western Hockey League, I think Ron Robison for having the confidence in me that I could be the spokesperson, if you will, you know, on Shaw, you know, for the league, all you guys that are working in the broadcast business are obviously working with a great product and promoting the team and promoting the WHL. But for them to have the confidence to to keep me that long and keep me working and have that confidence that I, you know, that I could, I could do it and that I could work with a, with a crew was, uh, was a highlight of my career. And, and, and for me, I'm so fortunate Gee, that it always got, it always got better because as I got older, I got more opportunities in coaching. And when I started on television, Scott Moore told me when we went on the air in 1999, 1988 with Shaw, with uh, Sportsnet, he said, Bill, great work. He said, but I'm surprised. I was surprised how old you are. <laughs> and he, he left it at that. <laughs> You know, but he was, I mean, all of, you know, I mean, I got my breaks late in life and to this day, I mean, you know, that I'm able to do this with the Vancouver Giants. I'm so thankful and I enjoy it, but I've enjoyed every step of the way. And obviously the people you meet, you know, and I don't just say this because I'm talking to you, but the guys like yourself that you meet on the way that become friends and, you know, you know, the loyalty and respect that we have for each other. It's, uh, it's, it's been fantastic. If I can catch a couple more years, in this in this uh, body of mine, I uh, you know I'd be very very happy. I love the schedules. I, I like to work at a high pace. I'm I'm always on the go somewhere. And you know what? Back to streaming. Um, you know what? If that opens up even a bigger opportunity for home games to be able to you know to have you know your audio be a part of the, mm-hmm. what people are seeing at home, I find that very exciting. Yeah, as do I. That I think that would be. I think that's the way the league needs to go because they don't really have a great TV deal right now since the the collapse of uh, the Shaw TV uh, agreement. What's the, that's been about? That's been about what? About uh, four years? 2017. The WHO final of 17 was last year. For those who don't know the whole story, of what happened? Can you kind of offer a synopsis and? how it all came to uh, to end well i i i'm not even 100% sure i i know that we were in uh we were doing the lethbridge regina series uh yeah 
that that was the last series that I worked, and gee, there was I got a phone call from somebody who was that was with uh, with Shaw, and they said that I'd been with them so long they felt they owed me the the uh, what's the word? Uh, not the duty. They they owed it to me to let me know firsthand that it was coming to an end. Mm. And it was going to end right in the middle of that series. They were going to like, we pull the plug tomorrow. And apparently they kept it going to the end of the year. They kept that series going, uh, Regina and Lethbridge. Cause my last game was in Lethbridge and, um, I worked with Peter Labardius in that series. And then, and then, and then Regina, I think played, yeah, Regina played Seattle after that yeah. in 2017. So, I kind of started sensing a few things. You know, when you start losing some sponsorships, um, you can kind of read between the lines. I know Levitt Machinery was no longer with us, and I remember Bob Dale Gloves had dropped out. And it, you know, the thing with with Shaw is that it it can only be a cost recovery budget. Like they can't they can't make money, so you can recover your costs and. I guess the long and the short of it is uh, it just wasn't it wasn't being viable that way. But keep in mind, we came on in what oh four oh five when that lockout, mm-hmm. and I mean we couldn't couldn't have had a better start. Of course, there was no hockey. The NHL wasn't playing hockey, and, and all of a sudden people were seeing you know Cologne and Brandon. I remember that first final I did, Cologne and Brandon, and you know fast forward to Leon Dreisaitl and the Rockets, and then the Vancouver Giants, and and in 2007 and you know Edmonton Portland and we already talked about Spokane and all of those wonderful finals and WHL product was so good that the audience we we averaged 170,000 for for the regular weekday games wow or was it Friday night games I think WHL we did a lot of Friday games it's a pretty good audience that's fantastic you, you have to it cost recovery whatever the cost recovery was I think I told you this before when we did that game seven Double overtime, Vancouver at Medicine Hat in 07, uh, Game 7. We had uh, 406,000 viewers in Vancouver. Hmm. Now, this is this is Shaw. This is, this is a, a cable network. So it was an exciting time. It went really well. And then, uh, obviously, I guess the, the, the curve went to the downside. And before we knew it, that, like I said, I was shocked when... They were going to drop everything in the middle of a series of, of the Eastern Conference final. But they held it together and they finished it off. And that's probably all I know as far as you know what was all behind it. All right. Well, we don't want to end it on a downer. Uh, I'll ask you, you've been around this league for a, a long time. You've seen a lot of players come through. But I want to touch on the coaching. Has the coaching at the WHL level ever been better than it is right now? Never. Not even close. You... Uh, you demand a lot from players and, and you have to, you have to demand so much from players. You, 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 there's so many things you have to do now that has to have a, why are we doing it answer behind it? Um, and you're dealing with, you know, with a, with an elite program, you're dealing with entitlement mm-hmm. and for, for coaches still to be able to work through that. And the talent is obviously spectacular. Um, Boy, it's, I forgot more than, they forgot more than I've ever known, to be honest with you. Um, the, the X's and O's part of it, uh, is still a big part. Um, 
the style of play. Um, you know, I've said this so many times. Um, the puck can be one of three places on the ice. Your team's got it. My team's got it. Or it's neither team's got it. It's a loose puck. And two of the three are bad. And the coaching that's done in puck retrieval and how you got to battle for it, your forechecking systems and how to, you know, to take it away and, and, and how to play when it's loose, you know, your compete level. I mean, you take a look at every one of those kids that was drafted in the Bantam draft. All those first rounders, I guarantee you, one of the first questions that scouts will ask is what's their compete level? Right. If you don't compete, if you don't bring that compete level, there's no coach that has time for you. And, um, you know, so you coach those two areas where you don't have the puck and where you, uh, where the other teams got it. Not a whole lot of coaching. You can practice all the other parts of the game when you have it. You can practice that. I don't know too many coaches that design any plays, but, you know, movement of pucks and filling lanes and attack zones and so many different areas in which coaches demand optimum, optimum thinking from, from their team. And you got to be able to create, you got to be able to understand what's going on. No, I mean, it, it's, and I've been told by several owners that the applicant, the applications they now get for open jobs in the Western hockey league from ex NHL guys is phenomenal. Mm. They're, um, that, that's a source of applications to a large extent. I realize how good the town is and what kind of an impact coaches, coaches can make in the Western hockey league. And lastly, uh, broadcasters in the WHL. For me, and I, I'm biased. I count a number of them as uh, as friends. I think broadcasters in this league are tremendous, and uh, I think there are a lot of guys who could uh, do very well at a higher level if they ever got that opportunity. In your opinion, what makes a good broadcaster? Number one, obviously, uh, again, I'll say it, believability. If I'm listening to a game and I'm listening on radio and you've told me that was a that was a, a, a great play. I got to believe it's a great play. Mm. I don't think embellishment necessarily goes a long way. I think enthusiasm is fantastic. I think you must have a high energy level. You have to be believable. You have to have a tremendous energy level. And I think you have to have a pretty good understanding of the game. You've got to be able to convey um, to the audience, not necessarily what ha- what's happening, but why it's happening. Now, having said that, to a large extent, that's that's my job. That's your job. That's a color commentator's job. That's the analyst's job. And they have to, in my opinion, and I've been so fortunate to work with guys, they, they have to – there's one word that, that I use all the time. Well, I don't use it on the air, but I use all the time if I was talking to any kind of play-by-play guys, and that's this word tagging. I believe that when you're working with a play-by-play guy, and you say something, and I think it's I think it's pertinent that the play-by-play guy take two seconds or three seconds or four seconds to just quickly tie a bow bow about around what you said, hmm. so that the listening audiences these two guys play off each other, they talk to each other, and it's more your job as a play-by-play guy to do that to the color commentator, so that you are working as a tandem, and that I as a listener can understand that this is a journey and this isn't a one-off this game. I want to listen to Guy and whoever you're working with on the air or Bill and Dan O'Connor. I want to listen to those guys in September, but I want to be able to listen to them in January and February. And I want to be educated on the, on the journey that my team has gone through because you don't end up with players in May 
that are the same players in September. Mm-hmm. And that journey, I think, is really, really important to convey to a um, to an audience. Now, I'm leaving out something that I don't know is as important, but a play-by-play guy is all over. Anybody listening is going to say, Bill, you're nuts. I personally not that – I don't put puck location as important as maybe I should because I'm not a play-by-play guy. But I think a, a, a play-by-play guy, it's important to the audience to know where the puck is. No question. But I think some people focus a little too much on that at the expense of some of these other things that I'm talking about. That To me, that's basically it in a nutshell. And wow, I think I, think I work with 25 different guys. Well, well, yeah, you've been, yeah. You've been in the job for a while and you've uh, had some big names that have uh, shared the booth with you as well. And who knows, one day... Maybe I'd get to do that uh, and and work a broadcast with you. That would be a that would be a treat. Well, it'd be a treat for me too. And I, I'm I'm fortunate and thankful, as I say. And and, and thanks for the opportunity, Gita. You, you know, when when you call or say come on the show, I always appreciate you know your stuff. You do a fantastic job, and uh, the league wouldn't be uh, quite the same without you. I mean that honestly. Oh, Bill, I really appreciate that, uh, and I appreciate you making the time uh, today, as you do uh, all the time. Uh, hopefully, the next time we chat, we're in a rink somewhere watching a game. Yeah, let's let's uh, look forward to that. Don't let's not get down, and let's uh, let's keep our chin up, and uh, you know we know it'll happen, and just hope happens sooner than later. This uh, this would be great. You betcha. Stay safe. Thanks, bud. Bye. That was Bill Wilms, a longtime broadcaster, and uh, now we get to know uh, a lot more of his uh, history as well. And uh, really thank him for his time. Enjoyed that conversation a lot. I'm sure that you did as well. That was a long segment, so we're going to get right to our next one. And uh, it's a 2020 draft spotlight. And if you didn't hear the first of the opening segment today, uh, I'll tell you right now, you don't want to miss this one. Uh, Devin Levi is the player's name. He's a goaltender, plays for the Carlton Place Canadians uh, out in Ontario. And uh, I have to tell you, one of the best player interviews that I've uh, ever had on the Pipeline Show. That's up next. McLaughlin top the right circle, goal line right, pass through the middle, and a good save by Colton Point, and a beauty. Man, oh man, what a save by Colton. Hi, it's Colton Point from the Colgate Raiders, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion. Talent, development, NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris and Duncan Keith and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody! This is The Pipeline Show, and after a uh, marathon segment in the uh, previous one, and uh, Colton Pareko coming up in the next segment, but uh, in between we've got a 2020 draft spotlight segment, another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, whenever the draft is going to be held. His name is Devin Levi, uh, one of the top goaltenders available in 2020. Devin, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Gia. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I, I appreciate you making the time. I guess maybe, on one hand, we've all got a lot of time on our hands right now, don't we? Well, what's life like where you are? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the rinks are closed and everything's closed, but um, I'm still uh, training and still trying to get better every day. Um, right now, uh, I would be in playoffs or playoffs would be coming to an end. And for me, playoffs is uh, the time of year where I bring the biggest uh, um, improvements to my game. So um, now isn't uh, a time for me to be slacking. So I'm just doing everything I can at home outside um, to be getting better. And I could go into detail if you if you'd like. Well, I'm curious because, you know, if you were a defenseman or a forward, a power forward, you'd, I imagine there'd be a lot of weight work and stuff. But for a goaltender, is it more about flexibility? What kind of stuff are you doing off the ice? Yeah, so physically I'm working on speed and flexibility. Um, speed is definitely a, a big part of my game. And um, also the, the mental part of the game as well. I use my speed and my ability to read plays um, to, to, per, to perform at my, uh, at my top. So um, I'm also watching a lot of hockey just to just to grub up ment- on the mental game and watching watching college hockey because that's where I'm going to be playing next year um, and reading some books about about hockey and about the mental game. So all, all of these things that I'm doing um, in my house and and just outside and in the front lawn um, is is all things that um, every every athlete could be doing and I'm sure a lot of people are. Because um, now, now's uh, now's definitely a time to uh, to get better off the ice when there's no uh, time uh, on the ice available. Can you play street hockey as a, a a way of trying to stay, you know, with your timing and stuff? I mean, you get guys just uh, whacking tennis balls at you or something like that, just to <laughs> improve your reaction yeah, you, time. You actually nailed it on the head. So, um, <laughs> in my basement, uh, we have like a, a little hockey setup, and it's like a shooting alley and. I have my uh, my street hockey gear on with my helmet and gloves, and my brother uh, he he rips tennis balls at me for like an hour and a hour and a half a day, and I don't know how I get him to do that every day, but uh, he 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 I get him to come downstairs and it's the best, and it's honestly the highlight of the day just to just to make some glove saves on him, so for sure. And as to uh, street hockey, I, I try to strap on the rollerblades. Um, and just work on my edges outside, just go for skates and like go to tennis courts and skate around. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's super fun just to still be in the hockey mentality. That's great. Uh, older brother or younger brother? The younger brother. He's uh, 16. That's why he wants to do it. Cause he wants to do whatever the older brothers do. And I'm a younger brother. Yeah. That, that was the case for me when I was a kid. So uh, yeah, it's easy to convince him that. And if he can uh, ring one off your dome or something like that every once in a while, I'm sure that uh, makes him smile too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He, he, he. I think at the end of the day, he just wants bragging rights to his friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Devin Levi is my guest uh, here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, let's look back at the season that was, um, and the way, maybe we'll start with the way things ended um, for you and and for the team, the Canadians. Uh, where were you when you kind of got noticed that uh, the year was done? So our uh, our playoffs got canceled um, the night before our first game. So I was actually in the ice bath, um, getting my legs ready for for the next game, uh, our first playoff game the next morning. And uh, we got a call from our coach that um, the season is postponed. At the time, it was postponed for a few days. I think it was seventy two hours. And so we the next day or the the day after, we met up as a team and we we got informed that the season uh, that the playoffs were uh canceled altogether and that 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 was a really hard to hear it was a heartbreaker because our coach Jason Clark from from day one set the uh set the image in our head of going to the RBC Cup and winning playoffs and that that's that's what we that's what we were working toward the whole year and to have that taken away from us right as it as it came 
uh, time to to work our way towards that goal was was definitely it's like getting our hearts ripped out of our chest. So it was definitely tough, but it's it's the whole hockey world and the whole world affected by it. And there's not much we could do, but uh, just just be uh, grateful that we got to at least play the season. It's got to be tough for uh, players maybe who might have been in their last year of eligibility or, I mean, for a guy like you that's moving on to the next level, that you don't get to finish a season like this. Tough to uh, to lose your last game of the year, but even worse to not even get to play it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we definitely had a really good team this year, and we had a shot to uh, to, to making it all the way. So I think it hit us like very extremely hard for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of other good teams and a lot of good competition, but this 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 year was in my head my year and our year to to win it, and just to have that taken away from us leaves uh, leaves a bad taste in our mouth for sure. Devin Levi, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, and uh, I told you before we started that this segment serves kind of as a uh, a profile on you for the casual NHL fans who don't follow junior hockey, but they need to know all the players who are eligible for the NHL draft. So that's why I'm having you on right now, and let's get to know a, a, you a bit and uh, get some background now. Where are you from, Devin? So uh, I'm from Montreal, um, Canada. I've lived here my whole life, born and raised. Um I live with uh, my two parents and my younger brother, James. He's the one that shoots tennis balls on me in the basement. Um, and, yeah, I love it here. Montreal's, uh, Montreal's a great place. And my whole life, I've always, uh, I've always played hockey here. And the hockey community in Montreal is a great community to play for. Bilingual city? Are you bilingual? How's your French? Uh, it's not bad. I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm bilingual, but close to it. Okay, well, good. It's better than I am. And I've got the French name, so there you go. Um, yeah. uh, now, how long have you been a goaltender? What, how old were you were when you first uh, strapped the pads on? So I actually started off as a player, and um, I, I was a player until I was around 10 years old. Okay. And at that time um, of my life, I decided to make a transition to goalie. And the main reason why I transitioned was because I absolutely loved it, and I loved I loved going in that um whether it was road hockey or when my goalies wouldn't show up to practice or to a game. And I actually, the first time I ever put the pads on was our, our team had a like sort of like a, a scrimmage at the bell center in between periods. Right. Um, and our goalie didn't show up and I was like, Oh my God, this, this is my time to, to, to the, be the goalie in, in the bell center. And I was like, wow, it's crazy. And, we we ended it, it wasn't a scrimmage it was a shootout and I ended up not letting a goal in that shootout. <laughs> um, so I just I was just like it's meant to be I'm a goalie now. <laughs> yeah, and it was definitely one of the best decisions of my life because I I just I just made that transition because I love being a goaltender and I still do, and I, I didn't know anything was going to come out of it and I'm I'm so grateful that I made that swap because. It proved to be beneficial for sure. Now, how long before it was fun to, I'm really good at this position? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at first it was just fun, and then it actually happened pretty quickly. I started training uh, right away, right when I uh, transitioned to, to the goalie positioning. And um, I started training, I started learning some stuff. And then my around after one year of hockey, um, one year of being a goalie, sorry, I played uh, the highest level um, ever since. Um, so I think that that change happened pretty fast. Wow, that's impressive for sure. Uh, now, Thank you. You, uh, you. We talked about your uh, 
college, you're headed to the, the college route. Northeastern is the uh, the college of uh, choice for you. Now, you did have opportunities to play uh, closer to home uh, with uh, just outside of Montreal. I think it was the, the, the BB Armada that drafted you in the in the Q draft. Was there temptation at all to, to stay at home? I, I know most kids, most Canadian kids probably are more educated on the, the Canadian Hockey League route uh, as opposed to uh, the NCAA path. Uh, was it tempting to, to stay closer to home, or have you always been a more of a college guy? Yeah, 100%. So um, I went to two of the development camps um, for the Armada, and I loved my experiences there. It was great hockey um great coaching as well Joel Bouchard was the coach at the time and he's a he's a great coach and a great guy so it was definitely tempting to go play for him hmm. um but at the end of the day I I knew inside that my route was to go to the college route because ever since I was a kid I've been watching I've been watching college hockey on YouTube and highlights and it's just I wanted to to be a college hockey player and I wanted to be able to live um live in the the college environment while going to school and playing hockey and it just gave me the best of both worlds and to be able to go um to play for northeastern as a true freshman next year as an 18 year old is is a dream come true and i can't wait to get started now when you were a kid watching college games which teams were you watching the most Funny enough, I actually really like Northeastern. <laughs> okay, that's that's where I was going to go with it because I know it, in, in our uh, end of Canada, there's not a lot of NCAA hockey on, on TV out now. No, and it's hard to catch them too. It's hard yeah. to catch those games. But on YouTube, you get an odd game, and uh, I loved watching Northeastern for sure. Okay, so when you fly down and you take your tour, where I mean, were you uh, in your mind, were you already a Husky before that? Uh, I mean, when did you commit? So um, I actually committed right after um, the World Junior A Challenge. Um, I played in that tournament this year. Okay. Um, it's it's similar to the World Junior Challenge, just for Junior A players. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. Um, I'm I'm quite familiar with it. Yeah. So um, I I had a good uh, a good performance, uh, a couple of uh, pretty good performances at that tournament, and it, it got me. Uh, it definitely got me some some views from Northeastern, and I ended up committing to them right after that tournament. Hmm. And um, after I committed, I was flown out to um, Boston. Uh, I think it was a month later to go watch the Bean Pot, and that was a crazy experience. And just picturing myself playing in that next year is it gets me excited and gives me goosebumps, and I can't wait to to be in that environment. Well, you've already played in the Bell Center, so uh, what's the difference, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've got that big game experience already. Um, yeah. Devin Levi uh, is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Um, now, w- w- before you get to that next level, I mean, obviously with no hockey now left to play, uh, what do you do to prepare yourself for that uh, for that next step? Because you know it's going to be a big jump uh, to play against uh, you know 18 to 24-year-olds. Uh, compared to uh, what you were doing in the CCHL. So how do you prepare? Is it more of a mental thing? A hundred percent. It is a big jump. And as an 18-year-old playing with 24, 25-year-olds, um, definitely is, um, definitely, I definitely need to bring some uh, improvements mentally to my game. And, and I'm, I'm a very mature kid for my age, but I'm definitely maturing in the, in the sense of understanding the game more and understanding goaltending um, is going to be huge for me. So that's where watching a lot of hockey this summer is going to come um, into account. And I actually asked my coach, um, Coach Madigan, to um, send me um, the the first games of the first three teams that we play against, the games that they played last year against them. He emailed, the, he, he emailed them to me, and uh, I'm in the middle of analyzing them and just 
studying the teams and seeing what I'm going to be facing my first three games there. So definitely what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get an edge over um, everyone else. And um, I'm doing that in whatever way I could, whether it's watching hockey or playing hockey in my basement or going for rollerblade runs. That is unbelievable. I've never had, I've been doing this show for 15 years. I have never had a player who has said anything like that before. <laughs> Good to hear. Thank you. That's really impressive, Devin. Um, where, where did you come up with that idea? Like, how does that cross your mind that, you know what, let's, uh, let's talk to the coach about who I'm playing next year and, and get some, I mean, you're a real student of the game, but this is taking it to a completely new level. A hundred percent. So like I said, I'm trying to, um, differentiate myself from the rest. And I thought a great idea was to, um, personally, what I could do to improve and to, to separate myself was to, to go get the videos. And that's just one, one of the, uh, the, the things that I'm doing or that I'm trying to do more than anyone else of. Um, just watching a lot of hockey. And, um, yeah, and I thought it was a great idea because how better, wh- what's a better way to prepare for, um, something that I'm going to be put into. Um, by watching how it was last year. So I don't think uh, college hockey is going to change that much over one year. Obviously, there's going to be new players, but um, studying the players that are coming back in the roster is definitely going to give me um, the best chance of succeeding. So uh, personally, I found that uh, a great way to give myself the best chance at doing well next year in my first three games. Oh, good for you. That's a great way of looking at it. I remember chatting with uh, Devin Dubnik back when he was in the WHL, and he, he used to talk about how he keep a binder uh, with uh, – you know, looking at all the rest of the shooters in the WHL and studying what they would do on shootouts and, and stuff like that kind of makes me think of, of that. I mean, is that something you look at too? I mean, whenever uh, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, a huge uh, preparation guy, whatever I do, I'm preparing for, whether it's school in a math test, I'm always studying um, as much as I can before going into that math test. And especially before games, um, I'm, I'm at the rink three and a half hours at least before games getting ready um, for the game and preparing to uh, pull out uh, a consistent and great performance. Um, so preparation is definitely a huge part and watching video and studying the other players and even your own players is, uh, is a huge part of, of hockey and of goaltending and especially for goalies. Go- the goaltending basically half the sport, in my opinion, half the sport is played technically and on the ice and half of it's also played in your head and just being smart and being, being able to read plays and understand what you're doing right and wrong and seeing um, plays unfold before they happen is one of the biggest parts of goaltending for sure. So I, 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 I'm actually impressed um, with, with what Dubnik did about shootouts and I might, I might take that into account and do it myself as well. I wanted to ask you about the, the about the draft uh, and how much so over the course of this season has the draft been on your mind? I I talked to a lot of players and they're either in one of two camps. Some guys uh, want to see where they're ranked and, and use that as motivation, and other guys don't want to think about it at all and because it might be a distraction. What about for you? So um, there is a lot of pressure, um, or people do tend to put pressure on themselves when it's their draft year, and it might hinder your their performance um, because they're always thinking about the draft. For me, it's been a lifelong goal to get drafted, and that always has been um, one of my motivations for playing. But for me this year, what gave me success was playing for myself and my team and not for scouts and not for opinions. Um, I played because I wanted to win and get better, and um, I didn't really worry about what scouts were thinking or if they were were impressed with me or not because I knew that if I was just being myself and I was I was showcasing – um, Devin Levi and how he play, how I play the game. Um, I know the scouts will realize that I could be a, 
uh, an asset to the team. And um, by not worrying about it, I feel like that is how um, uh, I I did have the year that I had this year. And now that the year's over, now I'm able to think about it and see what I could do to improve my chance of getting drafted and just talking to uh, talking to a lot of teams and in, even enjoying the process of talking to, to around half the league and just getting to know the scouts and answer their questions. A lot of that's been happening since the, the end of, well, since the, the CJHL season was shut down. Are you getting a lot of calls from teams right now? Yep, yep. They're, uh, they're coming in and it's super, it's super exciting to see that a lot of teams have, have pretty serious interest in me. And it's, it's, it's just on a personal level. It's great. It's great to get the attention and it's, um, it's great to see, um, that, um, I'm, I'm being watched by NHL teams and that's been the dream since day one, since I started, um, playing hockey. And I think that's every kid's dream. So to be able to live that is, is truly an unbelievable experience. And the, this draft, this draft experience and talking with teams, uh, is, is unbelievable and it'll never be forgotten for sure. Uh, I have to ask you about something. I, I've talked to uh, NHL teams in the past and, and scouts about, you know, how hard it is to scout goaltenders. And the trend for goaltenders is, you know, the 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", uh, type of goaltender. And that uh, I've been told some teams don't even look at goalies if they're under, say, 6'2". Uh, I look at uh, Dustin Wolf last year as a goaltender that plays out in the WHL. He's been the best goalie in the league for the last couple of years. He was ranked 12th by Central Scouting, didn't get taken until the 7th round. You're ranked 8th right now. You're also 6 feet tall, so is Dustin Wolf. If you don't get uh, drafted, you know, in the top 3 rounds uh and you ended up getting picked in the 7th or something like that, what does that do for you? Mm-hmm. So just to touch on um what what's going what's going on with the 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 height of goaltenders. So the trend was um that the taller goalies are better suited to play in the NHL. But I personally think that that the trend is changing, and I think that the game is adapting um, to faster and more intellectual goalies that are able to anticipate and read plays better. And I personally don't think it's good enough to just be big. Um, I'm a six-foot goalie, and I've been able to outperform uh, bigger goalies my whole life. Uh, I've had goalie partners up to six, eight even, and I've always managed to, to get the starting job. So... Um, because at the end of the day, it's if you stop the puck or not. And as a six foot goalie, if you're doing everything right, and if, if you're playing, if I play to my identity, um, to keeping my, my gloves 36 inches off the ice, because that'll cover the crossbar and to be able to play further out to cover more net and be able to recover with my speed. Um, that's something that gives me the, the ability to play like a six, six, three, six, four goalie and take up as much net as them. And I think that trend has really showed a lot this year, um, in the NHL with three of the top goalies in save percentage that have played over 30 games are actually six foot or under. So those goalies are Kabodin, Frankuz, and Ranta. And they are, they are t- the top goalies in the league and they are under six foot actually. Um, uh, Ranta or Frank, who's actually is 5'11", and so is Kabodin. So um, I personally think the trend is changing. And a great example of that is Jordan Bennington last year. He's a 6'1 goalie. And when he was given the chance to play in the NHL, he was given it only at 25. And when he was given that chance, he went and won a Stanley Cup. So I look at it the same way. And I think that if I'm given the chance, um, I could definitely um, help change the game and make the norm um, the the smaller the six foot goalie instead of the six five goalie. 
I love that answer, Devin. That was uh, very well said. Uh, let's wrap it up with a, f- a couple of quick hitters. Uh, you're a Montreal guy. Were the Habs your team, or were you cheering for somebody else behind enemy lines? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'm definitely a, a Canadian fan, and ca- watching Carey Price grow up was was unbelievable. Having him like right at my doorstep and being able to go see games is is awesome. When I when I do go see Habs games, I follow him around the arena. I know you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stay in your seat, but I, I tend to move around with him and just try to get as close to him as possible to to be able to watch how he plays and watch what he does to to make him one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie in the world. So watching the Habs growing up was was truly phenomenal, and they they are my favorite team. So should we expect to see some Carey Price tendencies and and playing style if if we watch <laughs> Devin Levi? Yep, yep. I try I try to uh, do uh, I try to incorporate some of his um, some of his technical game into my game. I love the way I love how calm he plays. I personally don't play as calm as him. Um, I'm more of an aggressive goalie, but just the his his calmness and his mental game and always staying even keeled. Is is something that uh, I I look up to him for, and I try to apply that in my game. And his pushes are so smooth, and he's so technically sound. And I try to be technically sound like him in my game as well. Outstanding, Devin. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I certainly wish you the best of luck. Whatever happens, and whenever the draft happens, uh, I hope uh, once you're at Northeastern, maybe we can chat again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, to look at even myself and analyze what I'm doing right and what I could be improving on. And you've given me that possibility. So thank you so much for having me. Great job. Good luck next year. Thank you so much, Guy. Devin Levi from the Carlton Place Canadians. And I, I got to tell you, uh, looking back at that interview now, and it's been a day or two uh, since I had that conversation, I, I'm still I'm very impressed with this young man. Uh, fantastic interview. I felt really bad. Because there were actually things I wanted to ask him about that during the course of the interview, I actually forgot. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel bad now because some of the accolades he got this year, I didn't even bring up. Uh, just in his own league, the CCHL, um, of course, best goaltender because he had the best goals against average. He had the best save percentage. He was obviously on the all-star team uh, twice this season. He was that named goalie of the month in that league. He was uh, named the MVP and the top prospect. Well, in the CJHL, that's uh, umbrella of that uh, has all the junior A leagues in Canada uh, under it, uh, he was named the most valuable player in the entire country, the player of the year, and the rookie of the year, as well as, obviously, the top goaltender. Uh, and then you go back to the uh, World Junior A Challenge, he was the MVP there, too. Uh, that is quite the uh, season uh, for one player to have. Uh, Devin Levi is... A very intriguing player. Now, he is only six feet tall, and I loved his answer when I brought that up to him because I have had NHL scouts tell me the team they work for, they won't look at uh, goalies that are under 6'3", and uh, Levi is six foot. So that is uh, something he's going to have to overcome, uh, at least in the minds of NHL teams. Personally, for me, the important thing is can he stop the puck, and uh, clearly he is able to do that. One of the other things I didn't uh, uh, bring up with him that I wanted to was originally he had committed to Vermont and uh, changed that to Northeastern. And I wanted to know why that was, but uh, did, for, completely forgot about it uh, over the course of that interview. So my bad. Uh, and quick thank you to uh, Jonathan Lachance, uh, his advisor, for helping set that interview up from the uh, Will Sports Group. 
All right, moving on from uh, that impressive young man to another guy. Back when he was 17, 18 years old, he would uh, actually join us in studio. Uh, now he's gone on to, uh, well, I guess it's safe to say he's had a pretty good pro career, considering he's uh, won a Stanley Cup. Colton Pareko of the St. Louis Blues will uh, reconnect with Colton when we come back. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, it's Tyson Jost from the Pentecton Vs. Jost racing back at center by himself. End to end. Jost shooting. Scores! Tyson Jost does it himself. End to end with 2.11 to go. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. One hope road that my mama showed to me from the moment I first met. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. Listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. We are back on the Pipeline Show, and uh, a pleasure to uh, catch up with a guy who uh, used to join us in studio back when we were on TSN 1260. He'd come home in the summer. He'd come into the studio. We'd always get somebody else to come in as well, uh, and we'd uh, just shoot the shit for an hour or so. Uh, and we get to uh, catch up with Colton Pareko of the uh, St. Louis Blues, formerly of the Alaska Nanooks and the Fort McMurray Oil Barons. And boy, when I say that, it sounds like uh, that almost feels like it's a long time ago now, uh, way back when you were wearing those colors. Uh, does it seem like it was all that long ago for you? A little bit. I mean, it, it's kind of all blended together so quickly. But, um, I, I mean, yeah, it's I'm obviously just playing five years in St. Louis have been those years have flown by. Uh, and then my, my three years in university. And then just looking back, it doesn't seem like that was a total of 10, 10 years combined of junior college and, and being here in the NHL. So, uh, like I said, it happens fast. And, uh, but like funny that you mentioned the colors. I think all my colors have honestly been blue and yellow right. so, the whole way through from Fort Mac to Alaska to St. Louis. So that's kind of funny that, uh, you mentioned that. Yeah, it's funny. We used to joke about how you could just keep the same gloves and the same helmet and stuff and just uh, pack, <laughs> it, pack it in your nap, in your backpack and uh, take it with you. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's already, it's already broken in. That's right. Well, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, what's life like in St. Louis where you are right now? Uh, I, you know, I don't know what if you're you're married with children. I don't know uh, about that part of your life or not. But um, uh, life in St. Louis, everybody's uh, uh, holed up at home and, and quarantined and all that. Yeah, it, it's good. I mean, obviously, it's kind of the same as is everybody around the world and um, everything's still, still kind of shut down, but it's, it's just me here in St. Louis. Uh, I don't have a family or anything. So I just kind of get up and see, see where the day, day takes me. I guess I don't really have any plans specifically for any of the days, just um, making sure I'm getting my workout in and then making sure that uh, getting some sort of cardio into. So 
just making sure I'm in shape. But other than that, I just kind of go day by day, kind of see what the day brings me. And uh, the weather's been really nice here. Uh, so I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time outside just doing different activities, working on, working on different things in the house and in the backyard and stuff. So I don't know. I always seem to find something to keep me busy, and um, it, it's been good, I guess. Well, a few weeks ago, I was talking with uh, Mark Pesek, another uh, Edmonton area guy that's in the NHL, and uh, we started asking about uh, where he was when everything kind of got shut down. Uh, for you in the St. Louis Blues, where were you guys? Uh, we just finished playing in Anaheim. Uh, I still remember after the game, we were uh, we were watching on the TV, and it was talking about the NBA suspending their play that day. So we kind of thought that we were we were in the we might have been the next next kind of sport to go just based on the fact that we're both 82 games. We kind of have similar schedules uh, in terms of the years and stuff like that. So we're kind of on par with them. So we kind of had a feeling. And the next day that we when we flew home on the plane, we, we were like, okay. Uh, that's kind of when we found out. So uh, I guess in that time. Well, I know everybody, all fans, and, and I'm sure the players are, uh, or most of the players at least, uh, are in the same boat, uh, hoping that the season can be salvaged and, and have a playoff. And especially for the St. Louis Blues, again, uh, defending champs and at the top of the division. Again, this season uh, shaping up to be another good one. Um, how devastating for, for you guys right now to, to have this big delay and, uh, fingers crossed, you get to complete the year. Yeah, I mean, it was... Difficult timing, obviously, in terms of kind of where it was in the season. Obviously, you mentioned we were having a good season. Uh, we were, I think we were at the top, uh, when it all kind of happened. So, um, but I think just in terms of what in the time was, uh, 10 games left in the year, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of when, when things start to shape up. Teams are, uh, not only for, for the teams that are kind of battling to try to win the conference or win the division, but teams are tr- trying to get into the wild card teams that are, if you have 10 games left, you still have a chance to get 20 points. So um, I feel like the last 10 games are ones that are almost like playoff hockey where all the points matter. Uh, it's kind of time where you kind of dial in a bit more and get ready for playoffs. So those are the fun ones, um, get you ready for playoffs. And uh, But we're all in the same boat. We kind of all all had to stop at the same time and whatnot. So I guess we'll just kind of see what, what it brings us here and uh, go from there. How how much are you paying attention to? Well, you know, there's lots of talk on TSN. I'm sure down south as well, just about uh, the different um, ideas on how to complete the season and when it can happen. And you know, all these hub cities or non-NHL cities, and all the teams maybe flying into three or four different areas. All these different ideas that are being floated around. Are you spending much time thinking about that, or do you just kind of uh, take a wait and see, and you'll you'll deal with whatever they decide when they, when it's decided? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm always aware i guess of what's kind of been being thrown out there and what what the different ideas are it's always it's good especially during time like this to be kind of open to different ideas i feel like but mm-hmm. um i just feel like there's there's so many a different ideas and then b just trying to put it all together is is going to be important so making sure obviously the, the health and safety of of the players and their families is going to be one trying to get this all back together but two just the health and safety of everybody else around the world so um just taking care of the the primary thing first then obviously um hopefully we can get back to hockey here soon um, but i don't know like going just back to all the different scenarios hi there's so many different things that have kind of been thrown around you kind of mentioned mentioned a few there but um i mean there's i think there's just so many unknowns and just the time frame still is unknown uh which is also another issue so as many scenarios 
as you have, you can bring up and come up with different things. It's just one of those things where you uh, kind of just got to go day by day, week by week, and figure out what the timeline's going to be first before you try to actually set something in stone and in terms yeah. of when everything will be able to get back running. So um, I guess I'm aware of it all, but uh, at the same time, it's it's tough until you don't really have something set in stone. So just yeah. got to keep going, and that's that's the beauty of it. And we're all in the same boat, so we're not just hockey, all the sports. I right. guess in, in the world are kind of at, at the same at the same position, and they're all kind of just waiting to see what what happens. I think week by week, and trying to put put in a plan. I mean, maybe the beauty of it is that we have a bunch of different plans ready, and if something gets thrown our way, then we're ready to step in. So uh, it's good that we're at least taking up different ideas. I guess it's a lot of hypotheticals, and we can't really spend a lot of time talking about hypothetical stuff. And who knows what will happen? <laughs> uh, what two months from now could look like could be completely different than today. So. Seriously. Well, let's uh, look back at the the career so far. You mentioned five years in St. Louis, but man, a lot of a lot's happened for you in in those five years. Obviously, Stanley Cup championship. You have a silver medal at the uh, World Championships. Played for in the World Cup as well uh, for a Team North America. All of this, and you're still, I mean, relatively pretty young. You just turned twenty. Happy birthday, by the way, this week. Uh, your birthday. Yeah, thank but, you. <laughs> um, do, do you have to pinch yourself a little bit that you've checked off so many boxes so early in your career? Yeah, I mean it's it's been a fun fun start for sure, and just kind of where I where I came from and kind of the path I took to get to the NHL and everything was maybe not not the most direct route and kind of took me a little bit of time to get here, but I I enjoyed the process and then I think I'm just fortunate to uh, kind of have everything fall in place. Obviously fortunate to get drafted by St. Louis, who's who's been really good to me, who's been a great city great team every single year we've we've had a good team and we've had a chance to kind of make a run at it I still remember my first year when we made it to the conference finals and semifinals and it was it was incredible and then you just don't realize that uh you get that opportunity every year and it might have been almost a good thing for me just in terms of a learning experience where how hard it was to get to just the, the semifinals not let alone the finals and then um that it just doesn't come that often and it's it's very hard to to achieve so it was uh just little things you kind of learn along the way uh we're we're still a good team which is which is great and um kind of i don't know it's it's been fun uh just happy to uh be a part of a of a good team and uh, a great city I know. I think back to the days when uh, you would join us in the studio in the in the summer, and I mean, you've always been a big guy, but we'd always ask, you know, what areas of your game do you to need to work on, or uh, in the off season, what do you do to take your game to another level? Now that you've had this much success, and and you look back over the last five years, how have you evolved, and and what what's what's been the key to your success as in terms of your development? Uh I just I think I'm trying to just take learn learn from every game and every practice almost I've I've been fortunate to be led by uh, a good group of players and I guess better yet for being a defenseman just an unbelievable decor uh some of these demons that I've I've got the chance to play alongside and play with have been uh some of the best in the league and uh being able to kind of take tips and just learn from those guys and uh get to just spend spend different my time with those guys at the rink has been uh has been crucial. So I've been lucky to obviously get that, get that guidance, I guess, from, from guys in the league. And I think the, the uh, cool thing about St. Louis, we have a strong alumni program with um, different players and we've, we've had a lot of good coaches and guys that kind of have gotten me there, but 
just an overall game, I think. Just uh, for me, I keep telling myself the best way to learn is just by going through, just playing every game. There's, I feel like there's a different situation that uh, that comes up, and I learn something new every game, and I think that's the fun of it. So, just trying to understand uh, kind of what's what's thrown at me, and just learning from uh, the experience. I guess is the biggest thing. You know, it's it's kind of funny to think now, you know, hindsight being 2020, but. There was a time in your career, you know, when you were 17, 18, well, your draft year, for an example, you were kind of an unheralded guy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Central <laughs> Scouting had you ranked. Uh, and uh, St. Louis, nope. uh, they reached and took you in the third round. And obviously that's uh, worked out pretty well. But I have to think when you were first starting out and uh, getting involved, uh, you know, at the NHL level or going to camps, and because you were unheralded at points in your minor hockey days, did you almost feel like, you look around the room and do I belong here? You know, am I at this level? Because you'd never been highly touted like that. Did, did you have an experience like that along the way? Yeah, for sure. And kind of just to touch on it too, I'm, I was a college guy. So you don't get the opportunity to come to, to the main camp um, mm-hmm. to try out for the team, I guess, during the actual season. So you come to rookie camp, but you're kind of, you're coming with other rookie or other college players, other junior players. So you fit in really well there. Uh, but kind of when I made my, my step up to that first main camp, you kind of walk into the dress room and, and you got some of those guys that you've, they've kind of watched growing up, the Petrangelo's, the Bowmeisters, the Steens, um, just guys like that, that you walk in the locker room and you're like, oh wow, like this is, this is serious. Like this is actually kind of happening. And it's, it's cool to kind of get that experience in that field because kind of like you said, I, I was a guy that wasn't even on the draft rankings and didn't really know where, where it was all going to go. and uh, I just kind of being getting an opportunity made it that much better and uh, definitely exciting. I still remember showing up for my first main camp and uh, seeing all those guys. So kind of funny you, you mentioned that. Rookie of the year, or not rookie of the year, but you were on the uh, rookie all-star team uh, your first year in the NHL. And then that next year, getting to play Team North America, how long until that feeling of do I belong with this group of players, how long until that goes away? Yeah, I think, I don't know, I obviously – that was that was a good good step for myself. Uh, kind of like I touched on earlier, our team was been, was unreal. My first year, we had such a, a strong team, and I guess I shouldn't just say my first year. We've had a strong team every single year, and we've had an opportunity to make a good push. But um, that first year was huge for me, just kind of getting settled, getting a little bit of confidence, I think, and um, then getting obviously the chance to go play in that team, North America, with the best players uh, in North America that are under 24, 23 was. It was pretty cool. I mean, I still remember showing up to the first practice and like the speed was insane. I was like, what's going on here? These guys are so fast. Uh, but it was kind of the beauty of it. I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of where you, you learn things, you take, take it and, and kind of learn what you can from, from those opportunities. So, uh, but playing with a group like that, just kind of getting notified as being a player in that, in that group was obviously special and meant a lot. So, um, obviously another, thing that kind of helps with your confidence and you want to make sure that you you don't take it for granted you you kind of make sure that you you uh take everything you can from there learn learn from it and uh just use it as you push forward with your career now with this big uh, break here uh since the the uh, the season was suspended it's given you a lot of time to look back at the, the stanley cup year i mean you guys are still defending champs and that gets extended in, until at least until hockey gets going again you guys can uh, get back on the ice and try to try to defend 
But that season last year, pretty magical, and uh, every kid uh, dreams, every hockey playing kid dreams about uh, hoisting that Stanley Cup. What what did that mean to you? Yeah, it was special. Uh, obviously, being a kid from Canada, we watch hockey night in Canada every every Saturday growing up, and uh, it's it's obviously a, a daily event. So kind of you you grow up on hockey, and then when you watch watch uh, them hoist the Stanley Cup every single year as a kid, it just makes you that more excited. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could speak for almost every kid that plays hockey when they're on the driveway. They dream of playing in the NHL, dream of playing uh, in the playoffs and winning the Stanley Cup. So, um, I don't know. It's it's cool when you're going through it. Uh, you're kind of just in the moment. You're, it's like a whirlwind. Like, you don't really think of all the things that kind of lead up to it. You kind of just um, are kind of more focused on the game, the things kind of leading up to the next series. And, mm-hmm. uh but when you take that time to look back and kind of reflect it, kind of how it's hockey has shaped your life and how much, I don't know, just everything that you've done growing up has kind of shaped uh, who you are as a person, as a hockey player, that it just makes it that much more special. And I think I'd tell everybody that it's not just kind of me that has won this won the Stanley Cup, it's more of a, a family thing and everybody that kind of my friends and everybody that I've got the chance to play with and coaches who have kind of led me along the way to have gotten me here. It wouldn't obviously all happen without them. So I've been, I was fortunate enough to be on the ice and, and win, but you just kind of reflect, reflect back at the, at all the small things from just playing minor hockey and growing up to um, just getting that chance to play in junior and then moving up to college and then obviously playing in your first NHL game. And just a cool, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just hockey player's life or how it all, all kind of shapes out and just a, a special moment. Kind of touched on it earlier too. It's so hard to win. Yeah. Win the Stanley Cup too and make it that much, make them that much better, um, to have won. What did you do with uh, your day with the Cup? Uh, where did you spend that day? Uh, what sort of events did you have? And, and how long had you had that day in your mind? Like, had it been a couple of years that you were thinking about what you would do if you'd ever been fortunate enough to win the Cup or? Was it sort of only after you won that you started planning things? <laughs> I honestly never thought about it before. Really? Uh, even like the first, probably the week after we won, I still wasn't thinking about it until <laughs> they sent out the email. And then uh, I, I remember looking at the email and I was the second second guy on the list that was going to get the cup. So I was like almost in panic mode because I was getting the cup. I think I only had like 10 days or something to plan the whole thing. Oh, wow. Uh, so... I like took a couple of days to kind of figure out what I wanted to do and then had to start putting all the plans into place. So our coach got it first. He was in Callahoo uh, and then I was the second player. So our first player, so our second guy to get, get it uh, out of, out of everybody. So I was kind of in scramble mode at the beginning, trying to figure out what would be a great way to spend the day with the cup and what would be cool to do with it. So uh, I kind of mapped it out and I just, in the morning you got, I think I got it at like nine in the morning. So I just took it to my parents' house and, we spent a little time there just taking some pictures, drinking out of the cup. Uh, just Obviously, that was my childhood home, so it meant, it meant a lot to kind of bring it there. Uh, and then we took it – where did we go with, with it from there? We went to – I think the Children's Hospital was the first stop. Uh, my mom and both my sisters work at, at the hospital in Edmonton, so just went to the Children's Hospital and um, just took some pictures and let some of the kids see the cup, which was extremely fun. Uh, and then we went to – the brick hockey tournament was on at the time. Mm-hmm. So I took it there, showed it around the locker room with some of the kids and they, they really liked that. I think that was fun. Um, so I wanted to do a couple things in the community. 
and then I went to my grandpa's house. Uh, he spent some time with him. Uh, obviously spent a lot of time at my grandma's house growing up. So I thought that'd be important. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did we do? We went to a kind of more like a public area, but, uh, it was like this little rooftop patio where a bunch of like my family, friends and stuff like that, they, they were able to come, come through and get pictures with the cup and whatnot. And then I went and had dinner, uh, with family and friends and just spent the rest of the night with it, with my family and friends. And, uh, that was, uh, I don't know. Just, it was a cool day. A lot going on, but the time just flies by because, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it was, it's a great day. Everybody's happy. Everybody's having a good time. And that's uh, obviously what it's all about. Uh, that's fantastic for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, the, uh, University of Alaska up in, in Fairbanks. Uh, both the, um, mm-hmm. the, the Nanix and, uh, the Seawolves sort of, um, up in the air. What's going to happen with them over the, the next few years? How, how much do you keep in touch with uh, the programs, and have you been back up there a, at all since you left? Yeah, I keep uh, really close touch with the program. I'm always following along, but uh, I'm actually yearly. I've been going up and and doing a summer summer kind of hockey school up there, uh, and I run it. I run it up there, and I use it to. Uh, I just use all the proceeds and pass it along to to the university. I thought that was a a cool way to kind of just give back and. Uh, the beauty of it is that the summers in Alaska are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening has been up to Alaska in the summer, but I would highly recommend there's cool things to see and do. And so, but I don't know. I just, I enjoy, I enjoy Alaska and some of the friendships that I've met or I've got through Alaska between my teammates and uh, stuff like that have been some of my closest friends. So just fortunate to have those and obviously want to uh, give back and, and see some of the people that, they were there, and I had a lot of fun there. Oh, that's great news uh, for sure. Now, uh, in the off season, normal normal off seasons, do you do you come back uh, to St. Yep. Albert uh, every year, every summer, or do you have the last couple of years? You well, obviously it's the Stanley Cup year. You were back. You were just saying, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have a place in St. Louis, but do you, do you find yourself coming home every once in a while too? Yeah, I do. I uh, I usually come home in the summer. Uh, first little bit, I'll stay in St. Louis and just kind of get myself situated. Uh, think of there's anything I gotta do in the summer or whatnot and get ready for for the summer here, but yeah. uh, I maybe come back and forth, maybe two or three times per summer, just um, checking in the, on the house. Uh, I usually make a trip out and uh, go to the lake for for a week here in St. Louis too. So uh, I'm back and forth, maybe two or three times, I would say, roughly per summer. Okay. Well, in this summer, uh, obviously for everybody, not just for you and and for hockey players, but uh, who knows what's going to happen. Um, it, now, for to, to be prepared, because you have to be prepared just in case it comes back uh, uh, right away or, you know, when you get noticed that you got to uh, show up and uh, get back in game shape and stuff, that's, that's got to be a challenge Seriously. mentally. Uh, like, as, as much as it is physically, I mean, you're obviously a professional athlete, so maybe the mental side is, is tougher to stay fresh? It, it, it might be, yeah. I mean, just staying sharp, obviously. It takes a couple games, even at the beginning of the year, to to kind of get things, get the ball rolling again. Uh, just, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be, it's going to be weird, obviously, kind of picking up too. But uh, obviously, we want to play and we, we miss it and want to kind of figure out a way to to get things rolling. So, kind of whatever it takes, I guess. Everybody, the beauty of it, everybody's going to be on the same same playing level. So, I think just kind of making sure that you're still. Still ready, I guess. Anything can kind of happen. Just 
be ready for uh whatever whatever it brings you i guess and kind of go from there so but yeah it is it's going to be tough obviously but um that's that's the beauty of it well fingers crossed uh and everything works out in the end and everybody's able to yeah. play and and everything is healthy and uh, everything's all back to normal uh, sooner as opposed to later colton i really appreciate your time it was great to to catch up with you once again i certainly wish you and the blues uh all the success you can have uh once things get back to normal Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Always a great time and stay safe and, and healthy. There is uh, Colton Pareko uh, now with the St. Louis Blues, formerly of the uh, Alaska Nanix and the Fort McMurray Oil Barons before that. The St. Albert Crusaders back in his uh, midget double A days. Amazing to think that uh, here's a guy who went on to win a uh, Stanley Cup, wasn't even ranked by Central Scouting, although I know the area scout, Rick Jackson, had him on his list, but he was playing midget double A before he went to the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Amazing. Quite the career path for Mr. Pareko, and it was great to connect with him again. He's he's always been a really great guy. I remember he would come into the studio the first time. He was really nervous. Like, he's always been a giant, big guy, big, intimidating guy physically, but then he would come in and he'd be really shy and almost jittery. It was always great to uh, to have him uh, join us in studio and uh, great to connect with him once again. Terrific guy. All right, that is going to uh, do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to uh, Bill Wilms, who was uh, our guest in the first segment, uh, Devin Levi, the uh, 2020 draft spotlight uh, subject in the second guest segment, and uh, this time with uh, Colton Pareko. Next week on the show, have a few irons in the fire. Might be headed to uh, Europe for a uh, 2020 draft spotlight. And we'll certainly try to get somebody to talk about the uh, the big news of this weekend, the settlement in the CHL uh, class action lawsuit. Lots of complexities in that, so we'll try to get somebody on who can uh, dumb it down for us and uh, tell us what it means moving forward. Quick thank you again to everybody who has uh, gone to patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash thepipelineshow and have signed up to be patrons of the show. Your uh, support means a great deal, and I'm not just meaning uh, financially, just knowing that there are people out there who really love the show as much as I love putting it together and and bringing it to you every week, Uh, that there are people out there who have been uh, longtime supporters or longtime listeners of the show and uh, think it's of value to make sure it keeps going. I really appreciate it, and I hope you're enjoying the early access uh, perks uh, that you get for signing up to be a patron. And this week's episode is coming out a little later in the day, so uh, now that it's done, I can crack open a delicious uh, brew from Troubled Monk. This one is the Open Road American Brown Ale. Fantastic. All right, going to enjoy that, and I hope that you enjoy the weekend. Next week, until then, stay safe, everybody, and take care of each other. Be kind to each other. Everybody's going through a stressful period right now for everyone. Don't make it worse. Be kind. And we will talk to you next week here on The Pipeline Show. Until then, I'm Guy Flaming. See ya.